Kyle. So I'm going to just do another little honour thing before we keep going. Can I just... Shell's did during the first service, she did a great job with the slides and I just want to really honour honour her. And uh, <laughs> Because as you'll see, this doesn't work without her. Um, and also, like, we went to the Tumby Bay Lights thing last night. Has anyone been up there yet? It's pretty cool, but like the lights here, heaps better. <laughs> um, there's one more little honour. I've got to talk a little bit about chaplaincy before I get into my stuff, but one thing I just want to honour because my role at the high school has been made so much easier because of the person who went before me. And I just want to thank you, Kerry, because it really has made a huge difference to being there. I know, I know. If you just missed that, she's pointing all the glory to God because she really has. That's what she runs on and that's what she does. And I just, it's inspiring to have that. So thank you. Um, So I had this thought during the week about chaplaincy and and really we need chaplains in all those areas and it's important to do all the study and and, and as as Pastor Pauline was saying, being discovered and, and developing and being deployed very, very important. But if you're a Christian, you are a chaplain wherever you are. Um, all it requires is for you to use these. This is a, the, the biggest weapon you have and the biggest thing that you have is to be able to use your ears and just listen to people. Um, you'll do so much more just by sitting with somebody and hearing their story and you'll grow so much more just by sitting with someone and hearing their story. Um, so I just want to encourage people, yes, we need chaplains. We need them in everywhere, but be a chaplain where you are right now. Okay. All right. So Pastor Rob said this year is all about the one, and he, um, he stole that from the Bible. I'm just telling you now. It wasn't his own thought. He's taken it from the Bible. Um, but it's great. It really is great. It all is all about the one, and I know that in Luke... That we're going to turn to this in a little while, but in chapter, in chapter 15 of Luke, it talks about the one lost sheep and the, and the one lost coin and how with the sheep, the guy goes looking for that one lost sheep and he brings it back on his shoulders and he's rejoicing because he's found it. And the coin, the lady turns the house upside down and she finds the coin and she's rejoicing because she found it. And it's all about that one, that people would go for that one. And what I'm going to talk about now is, uh, is the, what they put in, in your Bibles as the prodigal son but I'd rather call it the radical father because it's actually amazing what this father does. Um, so if, you wanna, if you've got your Bibles in, or on your phone or, and you want to turn to Luke 15, 11, while you're doing that, I'm going to share a paraphrase of it. I'm going to have a drink of water before I start this though. Okay. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over the family finances. He flew far from foreign fields and frittered his fortune, feasting fabulously with faithless friends. Finally, facing famine and fleeced by his fellows in folly, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famished, he fain would have filled his frame with foraged foods of the fodder fragments left by the filthy farmyard creatures. Fooey, he said, my father's flunkies fair far fancier. 
The frazzled fugitive found feverishly, frankly facing facts. Frustrated by failure and filled with foreboding, he forthwith fled to his family. Falling at his father's feet, he floundered forlornly. Father, I have flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favour. But the faithful father, forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies. Fetch forth the finest fatling and fix a feast. But the fugitive's fault, finding fratter frowned and on the fickle forgiveness of the former floral. <laughs> His fury flashed, but fussing was futile, for the far-sighted father figured such filial fidelity is fine, but what forbids fervent festivity? The fugitive is found. Unfurl the flags with fanflares and flaring. Let fun and frolic freely flow. Former failure is forgotten, folly is forsaken, and forgiveness forms a foundation of future fortitude. I'm just glad they weren't S's. Okay, let's actually look at the story. So, a bit of background. Jesus is uh, being questioned, I guess, by the Pharisees, so two of the religious leaders of the time, and they were the ones that sort of kept the law or kept the standards um, that were there. Um, and they were frustrated with him because he was hanging out with people of ill repute. He was hanging out with tax collectors who were like money swindlers at the time, um, prostitutes, you know, just, just the people that really at that time were on the outside and the outskirts. And they were really, in the Pharisees' eyes, people that you would just keep well away from. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. But Jesus is there having tea with them. He's spending time with them. He's calling them into to fellowship with him. And so they're questioning him about this. So he tells these stories about the coin and the sheep. Um, and then he gets onto this one here. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So first up, it's bad in our culture really. But what he's saying here is, you're dead to me. He's saying to his father, you're dead to me. Give me, give me your inheritance. Give me my inheritance now. Like, it was bad in our culture now to say that, but that was really, really bad back then. So straight away, this guy's on the bad, on the wrong foot. Uh, we'll go to the next one. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So, a couple of things here. He's gone to a foreign land. A foreign land there, to, the, to these listeners, is the Gentile lands. Is, the, is, is again, people you don't spend time with. It's, people you don't, it's a complete insult to his family culture to go away and be with these people that aren't part of his culture. He's... He's doing something bad just in that. And not only that, he's going there now with all the money he's got and all he's doing is seeking pleasure. He's seeking pleasure in any way he can possibly find it, partying, prostitutes. You know, we would probably say just blowing it all um, and trying to live it all up. But everything has a cost. Everything has a cost to the point where he's now got no money. And just to add insult to injury with it, a famine comes. And, uh, and now he's down, and not only is he down, he's being kicked while he's down. Um, I've been down, and I've been kicked while I was down, and I, I specifically remember sitting there, right where you, where you are, and, um, and just being at the low point and feeling like I've been kicked when I was down. 
thankfully, I had brothers and sisters around me to, to lift me up and, and, and it was, this place has been a, a real restitution for me. So I just want to thank everybody here for that. But I know what it's like to be kicked while you're down. It's the, where you've, you've just paid that bill and then you get the speeding fine. It's just the worst place to be. And this guy's even in worse. He's now starving. We'll go on to the next thing. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So this guy's down at the dumps, completely done everything wrong. And now, so pigs in the culture are unclean animals. They're animals that the, the, the Jewish people would have nothing to do with. And now he is feeding the pigs. He is in with the pigs. He's close proximity to the pigs because he's right there with them. What this is really saying is that any bit of dignity this guy had left, he's just given away. You know, he's now a slave to someone who looks after the, the unclean things and he's dwelling and living in amongst it and really he's getting nothing for it. You know, it, it's just the worst. And Jesus is really, really... You've got to remember Jesus is telling this story and, he, and these listeners that are listening to it are going, this, is, this guy's the worst. This guy's absolute terrible. Like, what sort of son is this? You know, he's laying it on thick. This guy's the worst. And then he continues... When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Okay. So he's gone, I've got a cunning plan. He's, 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 he's come to his senses and he's going, all right, I know what I'll do. Surprisingly, he knows his father is good. You notice that? Like he's, he knew, knew his father would, has, is, treats his servants well. He, so he already knows his father's good, but he's rejected him and gone off anyway. But he's got this idea. He goes, okay, I can't be a son anymore, but if I go back, hopefully, and I rehearse these lines and I get it right, maybe he'll take me on as a hired servant. So he's sitting there going, father... I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. So he keeps repeating this over in his mind. How am I going to do this? How I want to convince my dad to take me on as a servant. So he's rehearsing this line over and over again. We'll continue. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, probably smelt him coming first, but his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embracing him and kissed him. Okay, so he's seen him from a long way off. The father has seen him from a long way. There's a thing that they're doing in England now where they're recording prisoners walk, the, the way that they walk, and it's called your gape the way that you walk. And everyone has a unique gape. So I, I feel like he's, he's seen. He knows it's his son and from a long way off because he can just tell by the way he walks, that's my son. And this son is, is, he's just full of shame. He's covered in filth. He's still rehearsing these lines. He's still working over them. But this father says he ran to his son and embraced him. So this, 
idea of ran. It's not like this, you know, where you see in those Hollywood romance movies where there's two people running down the beach and it's all in slow-mo and they're coming towards each other and they have that great embrace in the middle. No, this, this guy is running like Usain Bolt. He's, he's lifted up his, his overcoat thing and he's showing his underwear, but he doesn't care. He is bolting. He is going so fast. It'd be like those cartoons where you see the, the dust up, up behind him. And that's just, he's running past, he's run past the baker. The baker's stunned to drop the, the bread on the floor. The, the blacksmith's there banging away, sees this guy, hits his, his thumb. He's like, they're all stunned at this, this guy running down the street with his, with his knickers out and, and like running towards this filthy, rotten son. And the son's there still rehearsing over these lines. And then he sees this guy, his dad, running at him, flat out, flat chat, and he's got, oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, I'm in trouble big time. This guy is going to kill me, you know. And, but no, the father's heart is he's seen his son and he's alive. His son's alive. He's so excited just to see his son's life. He doesn't care about his dignity. He just wants to be right next to his son. You know, I didn't say this in the first service, but this is a picture of Jesus in a massive way. He was ripped of his robes. He was put a shame in front of everybody. He doesn't care because he loves you. He, he went through all that because he loves you. But anyway, so he, so he gets there, embraces him and kisses him. And this is, a, this is like pre-COVID airport hugs and kisses, you know, where, where you actually he's grabbing him and he's hugging him and he's kissing his, There's pig filth all over him. He doesn't care. He's kissing him and he's getting bits of pig stuff in his beard, flicking it out, but I don't care, I'll kiss you more, you're home. And this son still, we'll go to the next part, this, this son's still working the lines out in his head. He hasn't worked out that he's, he's actually a son yet. He's still thinking, oh, I just want to be a servant. So he goes, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then what happens? But his father said, to the servants he, he's just interrupted him he didn't get to finish his lines the father says to his servant quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening we must celebrate with a feast for he, this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life he was lost but now he is found so the party began <sighs> wow he doesn't even give him a chance to finish it and not only that, he, gets, he says to the servants, go get the finest uh, robe in the house. And it's not just a, a dressing gown or something just to cover, cover him. It's the best stuff. It's the finest material. It's the stuff that your dignitaries wear. It's, it is the head of the house wears this sort of, sort of clothing when, when they have important guests over. That's the robes that he's putting on him. He doesn't say, clean the boy up and then give him a robe. He doesn't say, make sure he's going to behave right before you give him this stuff. He puts the robe on him, covers up his filth and shame and puts it on him. Then he gets a ring and the ring in those days, and it, it's, you sort of see it in some old movie and stuff where they use the ring to like push down on a stamp of approval. It's a family, it's, it's, it's the indication that he's from a particular family. So he's giving him this ring that says, you're a son. You're still part of this family. You have the authority of a son and you are this family. And the sandals, sandals are funny because I think what, sandal, what are sandals? But some scholars believe it was shoes. There's a particular type of shoes that, that, that was given. But even still, he's not going to be walking the same anymore. 
He's going to be walking differently. He's going to be walking free. He's not going to be a slave. He's going to be free. So remember that. Robe says you're, you're forgiven. The ring says you're family. And the sandals say you're free. And, the, and, the, um, and then he goes on and, and gets this, this meal and this party happening. This is definitely pre-COVID because there's 200 people's worth of meat there, not 10 people. So he's putting the steaks on, the whole lot. They may have had salad, I'm not sure. Probably. Uh, but anyway, your choice of steak, the whole calf's been cut up here. Um, and they begin this great party. But there's still one brother. Okay, the next one. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father was killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because he's safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's um, he thought himself a slave this whole time. He's been a son the whole time but he's thought himself a slave the whole time. He's done all the right things. You know, he's worked hard. He's looked for the approval of his father the whole time, not realising he already had the approval. Um, it's a pity, you know, Ebony and Dylan Levi have gone home, but Levi, my newest born, he can't do anything. He can't actually do anything to earn my favour. There's not... You know, I mean, sure, he'll be walking in a couple of days, but no. Um, but he, uh, he, no, he can't. He just can't. He physically can't. Like, I love him because he's my child, not because of what he can give me. He can't give me anything. You know, yeah, sure, we grow up and we get more responsibilities and we, and we you know, that we want to do better and, and grow and mature. But that doesn't change a parent's love for a child, you know. Um, and this, and I'm not even a good dad. Let's be honest. I'm not even a good dad. And this guy is unreal. Like this dad that, that Jesus is talking about is next level. So we'll go to the next bit. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Uh, Look, it's such a great story that Jesus tells, but I don't know if you notice it. He kind of leaves it on a bit of a cliffhanger because we don't know with the older brother. Did he go into the party? Did he finally get it? What was, what, you know, was being said here? Like, does he realise it? Does he go in? But that's precisely the point that Jesus is making. He, he's talking to the older brothers at the time. He's saying, hey, look, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This, the, Jesus is the Father in this. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want the, those, those that are lost to be found. I want to celebrate with those. Come in with me and celebrate that with me. Look, I've been on both sides. I've been in the muck. I've been in the muck too many times, really. But I know that I'm still loved. 
I know that those robes are there for me. I know that there is nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God. But I've also been on that place where I'm striving and trying to prove myself and trying to do everything right and thinking that that is what's going to please God when he's already pleased with me. You know, i got one little story that I want to sh- share with you. Uh, it's actually Ruth Graham's story, the daughter of Bill, um, Billy Graham. And it just it's the same story but in a real person's life and I just want to share it. I, went, I wound my way up my parents' steep mountain driveway in North Carolina. Unsure if I would be welcomed or rejected, I was broken by the choices I had made. Stubborn and willful, I had followed my own path and now I would have to face the consequences. I'd caused pain for my children and loved ones. I feared I had embarrassed my parents. It seemed I had wrecked my world. The shame was almost unbearable. I'd driven 16 hours from South Florida, stopping to pick up my youngest daughter at boarding school, and now I was tired and anxious. The familiarity of my childhood environs did little to subdue my fear. The February mountain air was crisp and clean. The bare trees, maple, poplar and oak, lining the driveway up to my parents' house, afforded a great view for the time of year, but I was too absorbed to notice. What would my life be like now? I'd gone against everyone's advice. My family warned me. They had tried to stop me, but I had not listened. I needed to do what was best for me, I told them, and now my life was a shambles. I was a failure in my own eyes and certainly would be in the eyes of others who learned what Billy Graham's daughter had done. I feared I had humiliated those I held dearest. How would I be able to face them? Driving up the mountains, my fear multiplied. Adrenaline kept my foot on the gas. I felt my hands grip the steering wheel. My mind was spinning. I tried to remember my mother's insistent tone from our phone conversation a few days earlier. Come home, she she had urged. I was desperate when I called her. I told her of my mistakes and I was trying to piece together a plan when, when she interjected with the voice of a loving, protective parent. But how would she and my father respond when they saw me? What would they say to me? What would they say? You've made your bed, now lie in it. Would they condemn me? Would they reject me? Despise me? They had every right. As I rounded the last bend in the driveways, Daddy came into view. He was standing in the paved area where visitors usually parked. Rolling the car to a stop, I took a deep breath and prepared to greet my father. I turned off the ignition, opened the car door and stepped into the driveway. Then I looked up. Daddy was already at my side. Before I could say a word, he took me into his arms and said, Welcome home. Billy Graham may be known as one of the great evangelists of the 20th century, but to Ruth, he is known as Daddy. And no sermon spoke more powerfully than those two words. Welcome home. Whether God is saying to you that I know the filth you're in, I know the, the muck that you're in, come home. You know, I, I will put that robe of forgiveness on you. I will reinstate you. You're always welcome in my house. Or whether you've been striving and doing things for the religious way and thinking I deserve what I get and you're just not getting it, the door's open. The party's already there for you to come in. You know, something that else that bothers me about that brother is the fact that he says, that son of yours. It's, n- it's not his brother anymore, it's that son of yours. I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like, they're, they're your people out there. Not my, you know, your people in Port Lincoln are my people too, you know. I want to be, instead of being a brother that's, 
that's standing there plowing. My brother's gone off to make a mess of his life. I want to go and find that brother that's made a mess. Yeah, bit of extra bit for you. Um, but God is inviting you into a party. It's, it's the most incredible thing ever. Like you, we've been given such a great... Josie nailed it this morning with, with the communion. You know, we, he's done everything for us and opened the way for us. Everything's been done on our behalf. We just have to accept it. There's something else to notice, though, with this, this story is that we all have choices. We could stay in the pig pen if we wanted to. We could stay in that place of working hard and using the plough and, and proving our self-righteous that it's, all, you know, if, that it's all on me. I can do all the stuff. But God is saying, hey, come home. Come home. Welcome home. As, as Billy Graham said to his daughter, welcome home. If something's changed in your heart this morning, if something about the words that Josie spoke or Jesus has spoken here in this story, I encourage you, encourage you to to turn to him if your heart's already turning that way we've got a prayer in a minute that we'll show and we'll speak it all out together and it's just a way to verbalize what's going on in your heart so we'll just we'll pray this together after me dear jesus i believe you are the son of god who died on the cross and rose again to forgive my sins i ask that you forgive me i give you my life and invite you to be my lord and savior Today, I am born again. I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.